It's rather a long reading, but it's a very wonderful one. It's from Acts chapter 10, 1 to 29, and then verses 34 and 35, 44 and 45. So we begin at the beginning of Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, 
Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a huge gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And now on to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. For whatever reason you seem far away from us, you still are aware of everything about us and are always ready to hear our prayers. And so we pray this morning that you will draw close to each of us and show us how from this word of yours we may respond to your glory and for the good of the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now the other day I was watching an Agatha Christie crime thriller on television called Murder at the Vicarage. How else do you think retired clergy spend their time? <laughs> and as I watched it, it struck me, not for the first time, that uh, in the, this type of drama, all the characters are usually complete stereotypes. You know, there was the bumbling vicar, his much more with it wife. It's always that, isn't it? You know, can't be any, no variations on that theme. There was the, uh, the peppery colonel, they're always peppery, and his pretty but rebellious daughter, they're always rebellious. The nosy old maid, actually two if you count Miss Marple herself. The dim-witted policeman, they're always dim-witted. And an avant-garde painter who was completely out of place in such a traditional village. And so it goes. I mean, with characters like that, the script practically writes itself. And as I thought about that, as I came to address this subject this morning, it occurred to me that if, um, if the book of Acts had been written like that, then the centurion Cornelius would have been a hefty bully with a parade ground voice. Yes, that was the, what you might call the stereotypical image of a centurion in the Roman army, for they were the sergeant majors. They had to maintain discipline and keep the troops in order. And in the case of this man Cornelius, uh, who we're introduced to in this passage, he was serving in a regiment on occupied soil. And that meant his concern was also to keep the natives under and snuff out any hint of rebellion. 
But in fact, as we read the passage, we discover Cornelius is totally unlike the conventional stereotype. He's described here as devout and God-fearing. We're told he gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. And so far from being a brutal oppressor, the scripture tells us that he was respected by all the Jewish people. And that word translated there, God-fearing, was used to refer, refer to the many people at this time who were attracted to the clear witness of Judaism to the one God, in contrast to the paganism in the ancient world. These God-fearers didn't take the step of complete conversion to Judaism through circumcision. They weren't what are called proselytes, but they did read the Jewish scriptures, they did find out about the Jewish faith, and as a result, they prayed to the one creator God they found proclaimed there. So Cornelius was one of those God-fearers, and he'd been humble enough to learn from the beliefs of the people whose his army had conquered. And we learn here that God honored the sincerity of his search for truth. This angelic messenger appears to instruct him to send for Simon Peter on a missionary tour at Joppa. Cornelius isn't apparently told why exactly he needs to meet Peter, but being a true God-fearer, he obeys the heavenly vision. Meanwhile, away in Joppa, it's Peter who needs another revelation to prepare him for this encounter which God has planned. For a Jew like Peter, albeit a disciple of Jesus, the vision he's given is about as disturbing as it could be. That sheet let down from heaven with all those creatures in it which were classed as unclean for consumption in the Jewish law. He's invited to satisfy his hunger by breaking that code and eating these animals. Of course, they're visionary ones, and he doesn't literally eat any of them, but they open his eyes in preparation for what is about to happen. Because the messengers arrive, and he understands that he's to go with them in obedience to God's Spirit and meet Cornelius in his own home, going into a Gentile home against the Jewish law, staying there, eating with them, and all for the sake of the gospel. And he discovers, as he preaches, and as the Holy Spirit's poured out on his hearers, that God has intended the Gentiles should belong to the household of faith just as much as his fellow Jews, even though they don't receive circumcision, even though they don't obey the ceremonial and food laws. And Peter says to Cornelius, I now realize that God accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Now, of course, word of that gets back to Jerusalem and Judea and the shockwave amongst the Christian community is immense. When Peter returns he has to give an account of what he's been up to. 
we read that the circumcised believers, the Jewish Christians, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And so Peter has to describe the vision he's had and how God had said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then he describes how the Holy Spirit was poured out on his hearers just as he was on us at the beginning, meaning the day of Pentecost. And so this was the Pentecost of the Gentiles. The Spirit moving ahead of the Christian church had shown the way to go. There was an unambiguous demonstration that the grace of salvation is intended by God for all people. And so Peter concludes, if God gave them the same gift that he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? That's the moment when the penny dropped and the gates were opened and, and the church realized that their message was for the whole world. So then, they said, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. They no longer think in stereotypes. Us, the community of faith, the Gentiles out there beyond the pale. That, bra that image, that stereotype is broken down and they realize that God is sovereign and his spirit moves where he wills. Sadly, that wasn't quite the end of the story because as we read on in Acts and in other places in the New Testament, we read that some of the Jewish Christians continued to insist on eating separately from their fellow Gentile Christians. And there had to be a big meeting in Jerusalem to work out a basis for coexistence. Yep, these things are not easy to solve. Our innate prejudices and assumptions are only uh, slowly discarded in many cases. But let's ask what we can learn today from this surprise which God had for the early church in the person of Cornelius. First of all, we should realize that we're not to make assumptions about who is being called by God into his kingdom. Looking back over thousands of years, we may smile at the shock of those who found, as they put it, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life, as if that was an astonishing thing. But are there people today whom we classify, perhaps unconsciously, as beyond the reach of the gospel? When I was a student, we had a mission to the university. The preacher was the outstanding teacher and evangelist who died a few days ago. John Stott. And those of us in the Christian Union were sent round our colleges visiting students in their rooms to in, uh, with invitation cards. And I remember one person I called on reacted in a very violent fashion. He seized a sharp letter opener he had on his desk and went as if he was going to stab me. Um, I beat a hasty retreat, I'd say. But um, a few days later, there he was in the hall listening to John Stott. I should have realized that the violence of his reaction showed that, he was in, that God in fact was at work in his life. And he was putting up a struggle. 
I shouldn't have just assumed that here was somebody who was never going to listen. No one is beyond the reach of God's Spirit. Cornelius, of course, wasn't struggling against God at all. Rather, he wanted to learn more. And so we find here, secondly, that God honours all who truly seek him. Before Peter arrives, Cornelius is already known as a devout and prayerful person, living close to God, giving generously to those in need. And it's true today that those qualities aren't found exclusively amongst church members. Sometimes the goodness of those who don't profess any religion puts us to shame. And there are many people who pray, but who never show up on Sundays. God's call goes out to them all. He knows each person intimately. His plans and purposes are being worked out in their lives as they respond in their way to him, whether they have any formal contact with the church or not. It is the majesty and the mystery of the Holy Spirit to act in each case in God's way and in God's time. And so we must be ready to detect where God is at work in people's lives and to honour the fact that they are, in their way, searching for God and trying to live close to him. But there's a third point. If Cornelius was already living such a good life and God-honouring, what precisely did he need to hear from Peter? Well, you might think he needed to hear about Jesus. But if you look carefully at what Peter says to him, it seems that he already knew something about Jesus. You know, says Peter, the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That certainly suggests that Cornelius, as someone who took an interest in the Jewish faith, had heard about Jesus, this outstanding preacher and healer, whose ministry in Galilee and Judea had caused such a stir. He may even have heard how Jesus, on one occasion, healed the servant of a centurion, which we read about in Matthew chapter 8. And he may also have known that the ministry of Jesus was cut short by arrest and crucifixion. After all, Roman soldiers carried out the sentence, and we know that the centurion who commanded them at the cross um, clearly saw in Jesus a very special person. And so some word of that, too, may have reached Cornelius. What he evidently did not realize was that the crucifixion wasn't the end of the story. Peter now tells him, they killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and caused him to be seen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now that's a pretty powerful first-hand testimony to the resurrection. Here is somebody before Cornelius actually telling him, I ate and drank with Jesus after 
he rose from the dead. And he goes on to explain how he and the other witnesses had been sent to preach that the risen living Jesus is the one God appointed to judge the living and the dead. And everyone who believes in him, says Peter, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Yes, that's what God wanted Cornelius to hear from the lips of Peter, his appointed witness. And that's what God wants all nations to hear through the mission of the church, continuing today what the apostles began. The gift of the Holy Spirit, which Cornelius and his household received on that occasion, is the means by which all of us may know the living presence of the risen Christ in our lives today. That is our witness, that is our distinctive message as the Christian church, the community of Jesus. So Cornelius, like many decent people who've lived down the ages, did good to his neighbor and said his prayers. He was a God-fearer, one who lived close to God, and God honored his sincerity. But despite the influence of many such people, humanity as a whole continues to exist in a state of poverty, oppression, and suffering. Corruption mars almost every man-made system of government. Sin spreads its tentacles into every sphere of life. And we know the kind of mess the world is in, even as we meet here today. Decency is not enough to combat the power of evil. What we are called to proclaim as disciples of Jesus is a message that God himself has acted to redeem his creation. He has raised Jesus from the grave to bring forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe in him and has appointed a day when Christ will judge the nations and remove what is evil but welcome into his kingdom all who have sincerely sought him and received the new birth of his Holy Spirit. This is what even someone who lived as close to God as Cornelius needed to know from Peter because this is a message that alone has the power to save and that is the message given to you and I as his followers today. May we proclaim it faithfully as we live close to God in our own lives. Amen. Do you like to stand? Just maybe spend a few moments just reflecting on what John has said. and what God would be saying to us through that.